Hello, and welcome to the Dodge Button Podcast, your podcast for the cheap, old, indie, and on sale. I'm your host, the former king of Scotland. And I'm a blueberry! (laughs) I'm a blueberry! (laughs) Uh, I think we need to let you talk about what you're doing, what you you played first, Ash. I'm a blueberry! So I've been playing Turnip Boy Commits Tax Evasion. Oh, uh, uh, I'm I'm Jordan Hamilton. That's Ash Vernon. We didn't actually say our real names. So, how many times do I have to say I am a blueberry? Okay, I'm Jordan Hamilton. That's a blueberry. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I've been playing Turnip Boy Commits Tax Evasion. Uh, it is a little 2020 indie game by Snoozy Kazoo and Graffiti Games. Uh, it's very sort of Zelda adjacent. Um, it's this extremely cute pixel art game in which you are a turnip committing tax evasion. And by committing (laughs) tax evasion, it's more like shredding every document you ever come across in just with absolute glee. Anytime you touch any piece of paper, your only option is to rip it up. Um, and that includes your taxes. It's almost as if you've never seen paper until the very start of the game and you're you just only know whatever your first thought was which was to rip it it makes good sound so you it does tear make it a apart good sound the mm-hmm. music's good the sound's good in that one i played the a sound little bit is of, good. of turnip boy um i played like 30 minutes of it and felt like uh i had gotten pretty far through it how how long do you, you well that's is? because it's maybe two hours long oh so, <laughs> yes <laughs> Yes, you did get quite far. Okay. Um, and I think honestly, I wish I wish it was a little bit longer. It feels very. It feels like it's like just getting ramped up, you know, like it's just sort of hitting its stride, and then it is done. Um, what would you have liked to see more of? What do you think could have been in there? Well, so I think that it's not even that it needs. It's one of those situations where I actually think it could use a little bit of padding. I'm very much the person who's often like, why did this take so long? And, you know, like, (laughs) why are we doing this still? But Turnip Boy runs through things like, like, the dungeons are so small. The combat scenarios are so short. I played through Um, the first dungeon and I feel like it was like four rooms, five rooms. Yeah, it's just extremely little. Mm -hmm. Um, They've got like kind of a little bit of puzzling in there but it's all really really simple and really small and I just think they could have sort of built that out a little bit more um and given given more time to those things because I don't think it needs to be a long game but I think like maybe a three to five hour game as opposed to a one to two hour game would be nice sounds to me like what you're saying is very excited for a sequel Yes, turnip. What 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 crimes will Turnip Boy commit next? <laughs> <laughs> More crimes from Turnip Boy. Uh, oh, I guess I should explain the blueberry thing. In retrospect, I mean, um, you could, or you could just leave the audience wondering what the fuck that was all them. about. <laughs> You'll have to play the game. It actually has nothing to do with anything. No, there's an NPC that's a blueberry, and. It was like the third or fourth NPC I spoke to. And all the other NPCs I had spoken to up until that point were like pretty normal. 
They're just talking to me about their day, or it was the mayor being mad at me for not doing taxes. It's worth pointing out, you say they're all pretty normal. They're all vegetables and fruits. Well, I mean, we all you start live in a greenhouse. <laughs> we were all vegetables we once. We were all vegetables once. Um, but yeah, so there's this one blueberry you walk up to, and it just screams, I'm a blueberry, you're a turnip. And that's that's its whole deal. It's my favorite character in the whole game. Does the, I love it does so the, much. Does the charm of this game... Like, Through the roof. Okay. So charming. Okay. I, I played, like I said, I played like 30 minutes of it, and I was like, yeah, this is a good game. 30 yeah. minutes of it was a great game. I'm, I'm Yeah, cool. Totally delightful. Um, for some fucking reason, the Switch version uses uh, the PlayStation controller button scheme, uh, which is very confusing for my brain, which is, keeps autopiloting to using the A button um, to select, and it wants you to use the B button to select. Don't know what that's about, hmm. but it's fine. I, I figured it out <laughs> eventually, you know? Um yeah. Also found out I had Joy-Con Drift. Because That's going to really game. mess you up when you go back to playing other Switch games. Right, yeah. It's like, I, it, especially because since I play my Switch with just the Joy-Cons disconnected in separate hands, so, like, it feels very different to holding mm-hmm. a controller. So I don't usually run into the problems of using the wrong buttons on the wrong system because the controller experience is, like, polar opposite. You're the one who turned me on to that. I used to be like, nah, I got to have my Joy-Cons together mm-hmm. like a controller, and you like nah just chill nah just, chill. just hang out Pull put your apart, arms wherever you want put em. your arms up on the couch prop your legs up and play the switch and i was like all right i'll try it ash changed my life if you if you have a switch at home and you haven't tried playing with your joy con separated give it a shot especially if you have carpal tunnel <laughs> especially if you have carpal tunnel really really helps to just sort of be able to angle those wrists wherever the heck you want them um <laughs> but yeah so that was it was it was really good. I think it suffers a little bit from like occasionally the puzzles are not I mean not that not that they have to be really obvious, but I feel like sometimes they're not intuitive, <laughs> you know, like sometimes uh-huh. it's something very bizarre, especially um, for a game that wants to be very short. Yeah, and I definitely had a couple moments where even though this game is just extremely small, there aren't very many places to go, I was just wandering around places I'd already been like I don't know what they want. I do not I do not know what it wants me there to are do. A, there are a lot of NPCs and like signs. Uh it's it's it falls very hard into that particular motif from the Zelda genre where it's like you should probably talk to every single person you come across and like you should probably do that thing where you keep talking to them until they repeat the dialogue. Mm-hmm. And you need to, like, kind of remember that they exist so that when you <laughs> run into somebody who wants a sub sandwich and you've spoken to the sub sandwich owner, you don't forget that the, you did that. That um, there is a sub store in this That game. there is a sub store in this game. Um, sub sandwich. Sub sandwich, yes. <laughs> and, uh, but yeah, really, really enjoyed it. I, I at one point had described it as feeling kind of proof of concept e, but I think mm-hmm. that's not fair because I think it's much more polished than that would suggest. I think it, I think they've, they have presented a very finished little game. It's just very, very small and it would be cool if it was, if it was more, but no complaints. Let's see what crimes turn up. If it is a, next. if it is a proof of concept, it's a concept that has been thoroughly proven. Yes. Well proved. <laughs> 
Um, and then I also just really quickly wanted to shout out uh, this little game I've been playing called Moving Out, um, which is a. Did sort you of... finally get to play this multiplayer yet? No. Oh my god. <laughs> no. Dang. So, <laughs> it's so. This is why I can't talk about this game very much. Uh, is because so this is a sort of physics-based couch co-op game that blatantly lies in the PlayStation Store and and claims <laughs> a robust solo campaign and that is simply false. <laughs> this is a party game. Uh it it's and I only have one PlayStation controller. So, um there's just not much for me to do here. Uh but it <laughs> <laughs> it's the it's got overcooked vibes it's very like sort of hectic hate that game but (laughs) moving out does seem really fun in your defense Um, you don't cook for a living yes that we we approach overcooked from very different directions and mine is just anxiety and sadness playing Um, that uh that game with dariel uh is like we both just go into straight cook like cook mode and we're, we only talk to each other in like monosyllabic three word sentences. And, That's kind of amazing though. And just like burn through overcooked until eventually we reach the point where it's like, Oh, well, okay. When I cook for, for real, I don't have to do it like between two moving trucks. So <laughs> I no longer have whatever advantage being a professional gave me. <laughs> as soon as that game goes into like not real kitchens, it doesn't matter anymore. <laughs> I don't understand. I thought you did all kinds of, uh, you know, iceberg dodging. Uh, I am actually a, a stunt cook. Yeah. <laughs> Professional stunt cook. <laughs> I did all the mocap for Overcooked, which is not <laughs> the game you're talking about. The mocap. Um, oh, right. But yeah, the game moving out. Um, in moving out, you are a new employee of a uh, like moving truck company. Um, and so it is your job to empty out houses and get all of the shit into the truck. Um, and it's sort of this wacky, weird physics game where you have this combination of, like, you can throw furniture out the fucking window. Um, you do have to, like, fit everything. You have to kind of Tetris everything into the truck. Um, you you can break shit, <laughs> you know, like, it just you just go. When you pick up a TV, you start to run off, and, like, it's still plugged into the wall, and so they're, like, there's, like, a moment of, of bungee cord resistance, and then it unplugs from the wall, and you can run off. Can you unplug the TV before you move it? No. <laughs> oh, God, what, what a great... <laughs> <laughs> Your what only excellent... option is to be full of chaos. Um... That's and usually it's my only option. Truly. And it's it's super cute. You have all kinds of different like characters you can play. You can play as a little lizard dude. You can play as a little toaster. You can play <laughs> as a teapot. Real cute. Um like a like a teapot with hands? It's it, the teapot is the head. It's still a humanoid. Okay. It's just got a teapot for a head. Okay. Um teacup it, head. Yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> <laughs> it's also, uh, I thought it was really cool because you have the option to put your player character in a wheelchair, um, mm-hmm. which isn't just an aesthetic thing. It actually like changes the physics of how that character accelerates and stuff. Um, not in a, it, it doesn't 
I don't I don't think it makes it easier or harder. It's just like a different control scheme a little okay. bit. Um, and I thought that was really neat. I that thought it was cool neat. that it that it had an actual like notable effect on how the game was played. Um, how much of this did you actually get to play? I played probably half an hour, forty five minutes of it. So like, technically, it is play. They aren't lying. You can play the game with one person. You just um, wouldn't call it robust. You won't you won't do very well and it will be very frustrating because with things like big pieces of furniture, the only way to pick them up and throw them is to have multiple people on them. So my only option with things like couches and beds is to drag them down the stairs by myself, which takes a while and you know, just like isn't particularly fun. I think a lot of the fun of this game is coming from yelling at your friends to grab things and the sort of joy of flinging the couches out the window. And, you mm-hmm. know, um, and it's just you don't really experience that in the single player mode. But it does genuinely <laughs> feel seem like it does genuinely seem like it's a really fun party game. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just can't I just can't play it can't play it with another person they also god it's really funny it's got a really good sense of humor and they open the game with like a a training video for your new job as a moving person and it is like it is as if the video has been recorded over a real life human person's wedding like like there is a man with a mullet (laughs) saying his vows to a woman in a white dress at the very and then it like cuts out and then it goes to the like welcome to moving to or whatever you know and you're like it's it's great uh i i i guess i can't say i recommend it because i really have not properly played it um but but (laughs) i thought it was cool but i liked it a lot i did i enjoyed my time sitting on the couch with my partner who couldn't play multiplayer with me because I don't have another PlayStation controller. <laughs> Just kind of yelling. <laughs> well, I, I'm glad you enjoyed it. Thank you so much. I you... guess, speaking of things that uh, could be enjoyed. <laughs> no, that's a bad segue. I, no, I, no, I no, 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 no. It was, it was a perfect segue and you're not allowed to go back and cut it out. <laughs> All right, fine. Speaking of things that could be enjoyed, I could have enjoyed... <laughs> Cultist Simulator, but uh-huh. instead I really liked Crusader Kings 3. Now you're probably wondering, especially if you've played the both of these games, Jordan, why are you talking about these two games at the same time? Uh, and I'm going to tell you, because that's what we do here. That's what we do here. Um, Cultist Simulator is a game by a company called Weather Factory. Uh, they developed and published it in 2018. And, uh, so things I like about Cultist Simulator. I love the aesthetic. Um, I love the way that for the most part, the game is just, uh, an empty table that fills up with cards. Um, and how, even though it's a very sparse presentation, um, it actually does a really good job of allowing you to kind of use your own imagery um added to that is the fact that like the animations and card art are really beautiful um the thing you'll hear this game talked about the most is the writing and the writing is impeccable um it's very 
mysterious. It's very, um, like, cosmic horror. And it's just incredibly well-written. It just oozes ambiance and aesthetic. Um, the whole game does. Uh, I really enjoy the way that uh, as you play through the game, you will play different character classes. And they all will play slightly differently. They'll start with different cards in their library. Some of them will introduce uh, new mechanics. Some of them will change, like, kind of the point of the game entirely. So the, the overarching idea of the game is that you're trying to start a cult in uh, 1920s London. And you're trying to basically become a new god. Naturally, yes, of course. Naturally. Um, the problem this game runs into is you'll kind of notice that basically what I just described is all very superficial. Um, this game really prides itself. It says, like, at the very beginning, there is no tutorial. And I don't necessarily mind that, right? I, I'm okay with games that have little to no tutorializing. Um, the problem is that this game is only filled with diegetic materials, so it's never, even when you do get to a point where the game tries to explain something to you or where you could try to connect dots for yourself, it's all obscured in these paragraphs and paragraphs. There's like, I, I think like ten or 20,000 words in the game um, of texts that are good the first five times you see them, but the other problem this game runs into is there's no tutorial and it's being approached as if it was a roguelike, but instead of randomizing the events, it sort of just randomizes when the events happen. That's weird. Um, and it's filled with these really repetitive actions that you have to do to get new events to happen. Um, and it's fun initially while you're learning what those actions are. But when you start a run for the third time and you have to... Um, manually drag two cards to your work slot. Um, the game is laid out where you have these like squares that represent different verbs, work, study, explore, and then you get all these cards that you can put into various slots on these verbs. Um, every single card has like six or eight different kind of types, essentially. Like it's got different elements that are attached to it. Um, every verb can only take certain cards of certain types, and sometimes you can't use a card, even though it is the correct type, there is a special circumstance, so for some reason you can't use that card in that verb. The game doesn't remember any of this, so once you learn that a card can't go into a verb, you just have to know that for yourself. Oh, no. Um, and that's fine until you have 20 cards, and you just can't keep track of all of them. So what I ended up doing for a lot of it was just the same thing over and over again. Um, you start playing as the character class the aspirant and what one of the things the aspirant has to do is maintain a day job um and like that's fine i'm okay with having to balance this mystical life i'm trying to build with with this you know my my day job and my day life and trying to keep things you know underground honestly that could be really interesting but it sounds like it's uh it is interesting headache. it is interesting at like a top layer but actually doing it involves dragging two different cards to your work verb waiting for a 60 second timer to go off and then more than likely getting a little bit of money as a resource um and a 
paragraph of text that you have seen before. Mm. And then you do that again. Riveting. And it's 60 seconds every time. And that's just one action I'm talking about. Mm. So, so for the most part, these timers are between 30 and 60 seconds. And sometimes they'll do the same thing over and over again until you have done it a bunch. And then suddenly you'll get a random event that will change things. Um, and then what you run into is you get a new mechanic or you get a random event that you've never seen before and your run just like is immediately over because you don't know how to deal with this mechanic yet. And it might be the sort of mechanic where um, the first time it, it happens to you, you that you collect a dread card or a fascination card, you're not going to know what that does. And then a dread action might happen where it will start eating your dread cards and it if it can't eat those dread cards, it'll just produce its own, and you won't know that until you watch it happen. And once three dread cards stack on that event, you die. Well, so so the first time I learned about dread cards, it was getting two of them, and then realizing that it was too late for me to do anything about it. Great. Um, I, I just really feel like what really happened with this game is they didn't super consider how you are interacting with it. It mm -hmm. feels like it leaned really heavily into that mystery vibe. But, like, uh, sometimes my character clearly knows something that I don't. When I do something wrong, the character, because the explanations are diegetic, the character is explaining why what I did was wrong. Hmm. And so I don't understand why I was even given the chance to do something wrong. Right, if your character's supposed to, in-game, understand it. Yeah. Um. So... I don't know. I really wanted to like Cultist Simulator. It's just got such a cool vibe. I really want to point out that I don't necessarily think this is a bad game. Uh-huh. Um, there are people on Steam who have hundreds of hours put into this game. Uh, there are journalists who uh, uh, whose opinions I like really appreciate who love this game. Um, I just... I just don't think it's for me. I don't think that I want to... The other issue I have is that I, I went back to the Steam store after I'd put uh, 10 or so hours into it and realize that the developers themselves say this is a 20 to 40 hour game and it's a game i played 10 hours of and was like okay i i don't want to read another you know ten thousand words to figure out what's going on if the way i'm going to read those words is by dragging cards into blocks and waiting for timers to go off every time mm -hmm. um because that's just like this is reading with more steps it seems like they i i it sounds like they've put in some kind of, like, incremental game, like, idle game mechanic, almost, that, like, doesn't fit there. Almost. You could almost see it, except it's it's too short of timers to be an idle game and right. too long of timers to be an active game. Mm. Um. So, I, I, you know, I played 10 hours of it, and I probably did the same actions for half of that. I, probably, I played two three character classes i never really felt like i did anything new until i got to the third character class who's called the exile and that's because when i got to the exile the whole game changed uh instead of being an empty table it was now a map and i was going from city to city running from a thing that was chasing me uh and that got really cool i was like dodging demons and like selling off stolen time for cash that's um, cool right and, like, the random events were still happening, but they were happening in a way that felt like it was driving me forward uh, as opposed to completely blocking my progress. And right. 
then I got to the very end of that. And now I am either stuck in an infinite loop uh, or probably more accurately stuck in a position where my only option is to fail. And while that even wouldn't be that big of a deal, the problem is that even to fail, I have to open the game and sit there for probably a minute and a half, two minutes to lose. That's no good. Knowing I'm going to lose, I have to just sit there and wait for... So here's what happened. Uh, I'm traveling from place to place, and I get to this location called Sunshine Island. And while I'm on Sunshine Island, I can explore it. And every time I explore it, I generate obscurity. And at this point in my deck, I have two victory cards. One being that I taunt the main bad guy enough uh, that I learn his weaknesses and can, like, blackmail him into leaving me alone because I know all of his weaknesses. Nice. The, uh, The other one being that... I um, can gain enough obscurity that I just disappear. I just become anonymous and he can never find me again. So the problem is that because I am at the very last location in this particular playthrough, I can no longer use the like messaging function to taunt the main bad guy. Um, and so I can't use that victory card. It's been blocked off to me. I can't go to a new place because I am at the end of the line. When I try to move to a new place, the game straight up tells me, nah, this is the end of the line. And I didn't know that when I got there. Hmm. Okay, fine. All right, fine. The new issue I have is I'm like, okay, well, I'm generating obscurity, and it looks like nobody's finding me here. So maybe I can you know, just generate enough obscurity, and I'll get out. I get to like five, six obscurity. I need eight. <clears throat> and in a random event, the big bad shows up and he starts eating my obscurity cards because he's searching for me the issue is that he eats my obscurity cards and recovers from that action faster than i generate them oh no so now i'm in this position where i can generate one or two obscurity but he eats one of them every time so i can't win or at least i have no idea how to win and Like I said, to tie it all back together, to lose, I have to wait two and a half minutes because he has to hit me. And for him to hit me, I have to have no obscurity because that action takes priority over him attacking me. And then I have to wait for him to attack me seven times. And each one of those is a 30 second timer. And there's no like, I give up button. There's a fast forward button, but that doubles the speed. So like This is immensely frustrating. Yeah, it's just a game that, like, I wanted to like it. It's so cool looking and so interesting, but I just couldn't finish it. It just felt too random. It didn't feel like it was... It felt like it wanted me to put a bunch of time in, but didn't want to respect me for putting that time in until I got to the end. Yeah. Um, so the reason... Does- Nope. Uh, yeah. Do you want to ask? <laughs> I think we're going the same direction, but I was going to say, so how does this tie back into Crusader Kings? So the, the biggest thing that made me think of <clears throat> Crusader Kings when I was, or that made me think of Cultist Simulator while I was playing Crusader Kings is Crusader Kings is also very heavily random event driven. Um, it's also very heavily, those random events happen when you make decisions and, 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 
take actions, much like you would in Cult of Simulator. Also, much like you would in Cult of Simulator, the game is built around letting time pass and seeing how those actions ripple back to you. Um, Crusader Kings 3 is a game developed by Paradox uh, Studios. It's also published by them. It came out in 2020. Um, it's a grand strategy war game covering the period of history from 867 to 1453 AD. If you don't know, a grand strategy war game is a war game focused on sort of the macro level. Instead of building up like you would in an RTS, like building up individual units and individual bases, you're working with the economic and political resources of a country. Uh, sometimes these games can take place in like a sci-fi setting, so you might be using the you know, collection of planets, stuff like that. Um, <clears throat> it's made up of... Uh, uh, it's very much like kind of feels like Game of Thrones minus all of the magic and stuff. It's very court politics, very... Um, you know, I have this title, so you are my vassal, and this person is my liege, and what you're doing is trying to, ultimately what you're trying to do is, with each player character you are, you're trying to, both in the short and long term, continue your dynasty and legacy, and try to basically take over the world. Now, the cool thing about Crusader Kings is that it's very open-ended. To like really drive that home, I want to tell you a story because if you read about Crusader Kings or you hear about Crusader Kings, eventually what always happens is you learn about a wild story, and that's the best way to like show you what this game is. Um, so I, I'm going to tell you the story of, of King Jordan of Scotland. Um, King who, Jordan, you say? Who, first of all, totally randomly generated name. <laughs> the, the game has a create On a your ruler... Yeah, my first playthrough. This is the first character I made. I, I played the tutorial, and I was like, okay, I understand how the game works. Um, we'll talk more about the tutorial in a little bit, but uh, I'm going to make a character now. Turns out I didn't really fucking understand how the game worked, but we're going to talk about that. But, but you thought you did, and that's what mattered. Right, so I was like, I'm going to create my own character. Um, I'm going to be the King of Scotland. I'm going to... I'm starting... I start as Catholic, but I'm like, that's not fun i know i know about catholicism That's i want to no do fun. this game has like 90 religions in it let's pick another another one so i pick some another sect of christianity um and it's important to note here that i don't read about this particular sect of christianity close enough um <laughs> then i go get down to the name section and i'm like uh, i don't i don't know what to name this character so i hit the random button and my name comes up like, well, and you're like, well, now I have to play now this Now I have game. to. Now I have to play this character as in this game. Um, so that's King Jordan of Scotland. He takes the throne, but he's the wrong religion. He's not Catholic. Um, and on top of the fact that he's not Catholic, he's this sort of weird sect of Christianity that thinks that uh, not only is incest, like, okay, but, like, is really important to the royal bloodline. Woof. Um, Off to a great start, Jordan. That's the part I should be clear. I did not read very well. What I thought was cool about this was they were like carnal pleasures and like being at one with like the world and like, you know, really taking part in life is like important. It's like praising God. And I was like, well, that's kind of an interesting look at it. Uh, bad idea. Really bad idea. Nobody likes me. I'm the king of Scotland. Nobody who works for me likes me. So immediately they're like, nah, get out of here. They form a faction against me. Uh, they put a new king into power because there's nothing I can do, right? Uh, it, I, 
everybody on the islands of Scotland is rebelling against me. So if I try to go to war, I have my own personal armies and that's it. All right, so there's a new king. That sucks, but here's the thing. He only takes my claim on the throne of Scotland and the one title he has to have in order to have that. So I still have a lot of land. So I'm thinking, all right, maybe I can turn this around. So I just start working. I start getting people to like me. I start getting, you know, handing, greasing some palms, using some diplomatic relations. Um, I'm like slowly but surely kind of getting my religion to spread. And then the game is like, do you want to just convert to Catholicism? And I'm like, oh yeah, that'll probably be a lot easier. So let's do that. <laughs> oh yes, please. Uh, so, like, things are looking up, right? Out of nowhere, the new king of Scotland, like, two years after he takes the throne, fucking dies. Which means his heir is a damn baby. He's a child. He's like a, like a six-year-old child. Um, so, of course, we get invaded by Vikings. Obviously. Because uh, they look over at the islands of Scotland and they're like, we could take a baby. <laughs> what's the baby gonna do <clears throat> so we get invaded uh we get a, a new new king who is of norse descent uh he gets real mad at, at me because i own a bunch of land like in the middle of scotland surrounding him so he's like gonna take my titles and i'm like oh hell no we're, we're gonna start a rebellious war the problem is i lose um not only do i lose i lose a bunch of titles uh so now i own one single piece of land i own the lowest level of land you can own and still be a player character <laughs> so i am i'm literally at this point one step above an npc and that sucks i'm also so disfigured from the battles that I fought in because I was leading the charge uh, that I can't go out in public without wearing a full suit of armor and an iron mask. And my wife now finds me absolutely repulsive. Wow. So <clears throat> I managed to start like, I'm like, all right, I got to turn this around. Okay, we can keep going. Start scraping a living out of the place. Um, like, you know, Nailing things together so that when I when my time comes, my son can take over, and at the very least, he'll have this one good piece of land that's well upgraded and well defended, and, and maybe he can do something after me. Somebody kills him. Oh. <laughs> my eldest son and only player heir, because I am now Catholic, which means my, like, four daughters can't inherit anything, um... That was the other reason that I picked the original religion was because it immediately allowed uh, women equal, like, the ability to equally inherit titles. And I was like, oh, hell yeah. Um, <laughs> so that means that my line of succession, uh, my titles go to some, like, weirdo third cousin I've never actually met. And so because he's not actually in my, like, direct line of descent, he's not my player character. So when the character I am playing as dies... My game of Crusader Kings is effectively over. Um, thankfully, my children still love me, except that I occasionally have psychotic breaks. Um, okay. And also, remember, I can have no more player heirs because my wife does not find me attractive. Um, right. And, and so at that point, I bailed on that save. Probably um, for the best. And that's the story of King Jordan of Scotland. 
I I have not ever played any of the Crusader Kings games, but I am constantly amazed by the way this game produces these narratives that feel scripted. Like when people describe what's happened to them, mm-hmm. it's always with such. And I think part of it's just that like feeling of like personal, like this is my kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, but like, there's just always this. It it feels so complex and and um, intricate, and it's very interesting to listen to. I think the thing about Crusader Kings that um, really separated it, the thing that really grabbed me and made me really consider Crusader Kings versus Cultist Simulator is in Cultist Simulator, you often get random events that do nothing or hinder your progress. Mm -hmm. In Crusader Kings, even if something fucking terrible happens, even if your oldest son dies and your wife won't sleep with you, there's still the chance that you could cheat on her, that you could change the religion so that now women could inherit there's still the chance that you can, I don't know, adopt that person who's trying to take the line of succession from you, and so now they really are your player heir. I think that what Crusader Kings does really well that Cult of Simulator doesn't is it never gives you the feeling that you are now out of options. It always just gives you the feeling that your options have changed. It, it does a very good job of making you fail forward. That's neat. Um, I also want to talk more about the tutorial, because... To get the sort of story that I just told you about, um, this game has so many systems. Uh, players have, or player or characters have stats, they have traits. You have to worry about your relationships with other people. You have to worry about what titles you're holding and what order those titles fall in. You have to worry about, um, like, different cultures act differently. So if you're playing as the King of Ireland, or the King of Scotland, you'll do a lot more, like, courtly politicking. Um, But if you're playing somewhere in, like, the Siberian empires, you're going to do a lot more fighting. And so, uh, and because you're, like, cultures in Ireland uh, are not, like, encouraging fighting as much as they are the cultures in the, like, Siberian empires are, the way you pay for troops is different. In Ireland, it takes money. People don't want to fight. In mm-hmm. in the Siberian empires, it takes renown. You have to be really well-known. People want to fight. They get upset if you aren't actively fighting. It takes more to keep your men stood down than it does to raise your army sometimes. Oh, wow. The thing is that there's a lot of systems, and every culture and religion and person and trait interacts differently on top of the fact that there are random events. So learning this game and playing this game are two entirely different things. Uh, So much so that I don't recommend you buy this game unless it is on sale. It's a $60 game. I think I got it for half off. Um, And it's not because I don't think it's worth that much. I think it's worth $60. The amount of game, I've played 30 hours of it already, and I think I just now kind of feel comfortable with it. Um, But the issue there is that you're probably going to end up buying this on Steam. Um, or some sort of digital computer storefront. And I don't know what uh, Epic Store is like, or even if you can get this on the Epic Store, but I know on Steam, um, you if you play a game for over two hours or own it for longer than two weeks, you can't return it. Um, so if you're not like a 1,000% sure this is the game you want, you're going to have to play the tutorial. 
and the tutorial, because this game has so much to it, is probably two hours long the first time you play it. Um, so you can very quickly run into the issue where you get through the tutorial and now you can't return the game and you don't like it and you spent $60 on it. Um, right. Um, it's also because of that, it's just like a giant mountain of information that gets dumped into your lap. There are menus and sub menus and tool tips and sub tool tips. There's a whole section in the options just for controlling how the tool tips expand and freeze. Um, That's there's like cool. It's very cool. It's also hilarious because there's so many tool tips that they had to get grainy with the options. Right. They were, <laughs> they needed uh, to organize it for you. They're all presented really well. They're like uh, hover to hyperlink, uh, very Pyre-esque. Oh, uh, so, I so love you, that system. You'll hover over like a highlighted bit of text and it will produce another tool tip. Um, and that tool tip might have a couple more bits of highlighted text and you can hover over one of those and so on and so forth. Um they're usually very useful. Sometimes I have the problem where I just don't understand a system. I don't understand how I want how to get the title I want or how to make the person uh, how to make a person you know like me again or why a person doesn't like me. Um, part of the reason I picked the wrong religion when I created my first character is because the game never didn't give you a heads up how much yeah, that was going to matter. Right, right. The game points out to you like different religions have different opinions about people but the game doesn't tell you like hey if you're the wrong religion and the king of scotland that's you're gonna get completely fucked <laughs> um so like I, I i don't fault crusader kings for that necessarily i think it's such a big game that like the tutorial is just enough to get you interested and understand how to get the ball rolling um mm -hmm. it's very aware of that like even 15 hours in you'll end up in a, a, a new situation that you haven't seen before and you'll get a handy little um like tutorial essentially it's not really a tutorial it's it'll be like three or four pages of kind of more information that you can read through and you say i understand and you're like okay cool i get this feature now for the most part that's also useful i think in a game like this with this much stuff there's just like no way to really teach it well without you playing it right um <clears throat> my other problem with it is that like it's this big, really beautiful world. Uh, when you zoom all the way out, you get like a paper map that shows how the borders of different places are expanding and contracting. Um, and you can switch the view so you can see like what it should look like versus what it does, which is very interesting. Um, but all of the interesting visual stuff is really happening at that, that macro level where you're watching borders expand and contract. Uh -huh. At the at the micro level, when you're most zoomed in, which is where you'll spend, or at least where I spend the majority of my time in the game, it's kind of static, which is kind of a bummer. There are weather effects, which are nice, but the towns are basically just these like tiny little, you know, circles with huts that right. you can kind of see, you know, upgrading as you you know work on them. But uh, the game in general is just kind of static and a, a little boring. But I really think it says a lot that. My biggest complaint about Crusader Kings is the visuals, and my biggest positive with Cultist Simulator is the visuals, or, right. or the, the aesthetic, I guess. Um, <clears throat> uh, the last thing I, I want to talk about, or uh, the last two things I want to talk about are, um, I want to be super clear that this is a, uh, while it is not trying to be super realistic 
uh, it is a game that is simulating the crusade era and the politics and societies therein. So like right. it's a game for going into and realizing that you're going to have to make some decisions that like as a person in the 21st century you probably don't agree with. Like you could I had a character who uh his brother was uh when when their father died his titles were split evenly. So the character I took over as had a brother who got some of those titles, and I killed him for those. Right. Um, I have married off daughters to solely to gain political advantages. Um, I have betrothed very old men to very young women. Uh, mm. It's not It's not necessarily shit I would do as a normal human being, but God damn it, the line must succeed. <laughs> Um, the other thing I want to talk about, uh, the reason that like I have most enjoyed this game is it's a very cool way to play multiplayer. Um, it feels a little off at first because the game is very much sort of pitting you against the world. So when you play with another person, if you're not, uh, the way my roommate and I play, we don't try to play against each other. We're trying to like take over the world. Um, so it can be a little weird at first to know there's a person out there who like you should probably talk to and try to coordinate with. Um, but after you get over that kind of initial weirdness where it's kind of hard to – so, like, you should strategize with the person you're playing with, but the game is expecting you to play competitively instead of cooperatively. Oh, I um, see. Sort of, sort of, like, at least at first. So you have to work really hard to, like, start marrying your children to each other and, and you know, claiming territory near each other so that you can eventually actually be allies. Um, and once you reach that point – very good. We've just started steamrolling. Um, like we started in the middle of Siberia and we're spreading out east and west. Uh, eventually, we're going to take over like the the uh, Khanate, and it's been very fun. I'm very excited to keep playing. That's cool. I don't like. I've never been interested personally in these games, but like, I think they're I, very <clears throat> neat. If you're if this sounds interesting to you, I really think this is the sort of thing that you should. Because it's very easy for Crusader Kings to sound more interesting than it is. Right. It's very much a sort of you're making your own. Right. Or, it's very you good get what for. You, you get out of it what you put into it. Right. I it's imagine. very good for emergent narratives and for kind of self-made play because there's so much to do. You can. Um, the character that I'm playing in, in the game with Darielle, uh, I have become like. I started my life very warlike and just took a bunch of territory and now as as i've gotten older i've become more thoughtful and more religious and so i've been building temples and you could just switch you can just switch gears just like that and because you have so much choice it can be very easy for this game to sound interesting because i could tell you about how i killed a bunch of people just because they wouldn't pay a ransom uh for or i killed a bunch of prisoners because nobody would pay a ransom for them and i can also tell you about how then i went on a pilgrimage and uh saw the face of god and it really changed my life but like what i did was click raise all armies and then right click on a place and then wait for time to pass Mm -hmm. And I clicked on go on a pilgrimage and waited for time to pass. And if you're not willing to kind of invest just a little bit, or if you're just the sort of person who doesn't really do that, this probably isn't for you. Makes um, sense. But it's definitely better than Cultist Simulator. <laughs> it's a Jordan Hamilton guarantee. 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 What else have you been playing, Ash? 
I, I know there's one game that you like put a bunch of time into. I went list. I went back to the Final Fantasy VII remake. This was wild to me when you were like, oh yeah, I've been playing Final Fantasy VII again, and I actually <laughs> really want to talk about it. <laughs> After my very, uh, very angry, I hated every minute of playing this when I yeah, talked about the I, demo a few episodes ago. Yeah, I remember a couple of checkpoints ago you were like, uh, I played the demo and uh, it sucks. It's a bad game. Don't play it. <laughs> I really didn't enjoy the demo. Uh-huh. And I'll tell you what, the demo is the first hour of the game. I really oh, no. didn't enjoy it the second time around either. Not any better. Didn't. <laughs> not not a good time. I So my issue with the Final Fantasy remake uh, largely is that I do not care for the combat system at all. Um, luckily, you can hey, sort of sidestep that's side like half the game, this. Ash. It, you know, but at the same time, it isn't because it's a Final Fantasy game. So okay. it's like unnecessary combat and <laughs> wild plot. And that's that's what and you marry the two together and you have fun. And listen, and you have please, a genre defining video game. Please understand. I say this with so much love. <laughs> I love Final Fantasy games. Yeah, um, I feel like I feel like if you, you don't realize how we feel about Final Fantasy at this point, you didn't listen to us talk about Final Fantasy twelve for like an hour. You didn't listen to the fact that I've sunk probably like a quarter of my life into Final Fantasy twelve. <laughs> <laughs> Just been playing it since I was fifteen. What uh what didn't you like about the combat system? Um, well, so like it's it's trying to marry real time and these sort of um like countdown timers and it's been trying i mean final fantasy has been trying to make that work since like final fantasy 12 um Mm -hmm. so you know but the but the exact way they go about it changes every time Mm -hmm. and i just personally did not find this particular version to be very uh i i just found it sort of moving at a frustrating pace like things were either happening too fast or too slow mm-hmm. and i just like was constantly off balance um and when the i i just want up you can you can change the settings on the battles and like the challenge of the battle is not something i come to final fantasy for <laughs> necessarily <laughs> so like i just bumped it down you can make it so that it basically fights it practically fights for you you know you just sort of like you press a couple buttons sometimes to take Go a potion when you think you're going to die. Um, Go over there. All right. I'll see you in a little bit. All right. Later. Um, and that was fine for me. I wasn't, you know, like, I if I want to really, like, engage with the combat system, I'll play Hollow Knight. You know, like, it's fine. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I was able to change the difficulty, because when I played the demo, I, I played it on standard difficulty and just had a miserable time. Um, I got to the actual game because it was free on PlayStation Plus, And I was like, well, if I don't have to pay them any money, I suppose. <laughs> um, and so I, once I changed the difficulty uh, and was able to just sort of move through it a good clip, um, I was able to appreciate more of what the game was. I just gotta, um, I just got to point out, I'm not like an expert, but <laughs> a game that came out like, year ago and 
was $60 when it came out, and it's supposed uh-huh. to be part of a huge series uh-huh. that is already free on the PlayStation Plus store. Uh-huh. I, I wonder how well the Final Fantasy VII remake is really going to go. Well, see, that's I, I wasn't going to bring this up till later, but that's something I'm genuinely, I genuinely like. So most of my review of the Final Fantasy remake actually now is going to be very positive. I've really I've really right. done a turn. However, something I still really don't like about this and something that I still like worry about is what kind of precedent this might set. Um because this thing where they take a you know decade old game and not only charge, you know, remake it and charge you $60 for it. But break it up into, th- I'm, I'm assuming it's going to be like at least three parts. Um, charge, charge you full you price for, each one of for them all of them. Uh, they're going to make you, so if I want to keep playing this, I'm going to have to jump consoles. Um, because they're putting out a PS5 exclusive interim version of Final Fantasy VII of the first one that ends a little bit later than where this one, the PS4 version, ended. This is um, gross. Yeah, and from what I've heard, the second one is going to pick up immediately after the ending of the interim game, not immediately after the ending of the one that they've already made everybody play for, pay for. And unfortunately, because Final Fantasy VII is this juggernaut in gamer nostalgia, if anybody can get away with this sort of cash grab it's square it's going to be square and if square gets away with it other companies are going to follow Uh suit yeah probably i i yeah i can totally see it so i worry about the precedent immensely the cat is actually fine Oh, okay. I was, I was g- going. I was slowing down so you could go deal with the cat if she, you needed to. She was just yelling for no reason. That's fair. Me too. <laughs> um, but like, so things. On to some positives because, like I said, I've really done a one eighty on this game. Mm-hmm. Um, one genuinely maybe the most beautiful video game I've ever played in my life. <laughs> okay, like. So the graphics are so stunning. I just want to point out, I've known Ash Vernon for a long time, and uh, you like tend to hate video game graphics and aesthetics. Not hate, you just tend to be like <laughs> the more critical of the two of us. So I, I aesthetic means a lot to me. So you saying that this is the prettiest game you've ever played is that's very high praise. It's truly stunning. Um, cinematically and and okay. like so something that's kind of a staple of Final Fantasy especially like once you get into like PlayStation era Final Fantasies mm-hmm. um, is the cut scene which is mm-hmm. to say not just a cut scene but when you watch the production quality increase so drastically right. it's like you've it's like you're not even in the same game anymore mm-hmm. um, and this game's like regular gameplay looks like a cutscene. Um, I almost, I'm gonna be honest, I almost don't like that. Well, so it's it, it works though. Like it's okay. not, it's really, it's really beautiful. The colors are really saturated. 
Um, the like, the detailing is really. Uh, it feels really real. Um, these like locations. There, it feels like a lot of thought has been put into how to make spaces look lived in, and um, that kind of thing. But like, you could what what really baffles me, especially when you are because it, it does still when you're in a cutscene because. Final Fantasy has two types of cutscenes. It has the, like, sort of chill cutscene, and then it has the, like, we made a small movie um, mm-hmm. <laughs> cutscene. Um, and this game still has, but like, those, you know, three different visual styles. The gameplay, the sort of lower quality right. cutscene, and the high quality cutscene. But the difference between them is much smaller. Okay. And then also, you get into the cutscenes, even the sort of mid-grade, you know, mm-hmm. lower budget cutscenes. And... <laughs> You can see sweat on faces. You can see individual threads in Cloud's little turtleneck. Um, wow. You can see. And then in gameplay, this, I noticed this a couple days ago, and I lost my fucking mind over it. I had, I was like <laughs> in a dungeon, and I faced the camera, uh, and, and Cloud was standing fairly close to the camera, so I could see his face very clearly. And I watched as his eyes sort of tracked around the room the way in in this, like, just extremely realistic, like, just sort of glancing around, not really, like, looking at anything, just sort of looked around the room. And it was just like, this isn't even a cutscene. This is just, like, his idle animation. He just glances about. That's so cool. Very cool. Looks really, really good. Um, I think Final Fantasy to me has always done a really good job of straddling the line between stylistic and realistic. Um, they, I agree. even when they push into more realism, I feel like they they never let go of the stylistic things that make them interesting. Because mm-hmm. I'm very much of the opinion that hyper like games that look literally like real life don't necessarily impress me. Which is, I mm-hmm. mean, like obviously it is a feat of inju- of of uh, artistic engineering and whatever, but it's just like it's not what I like. What I like about the medium, um, but I think that Final Fantasy does this really great job of marrying those two things. So you've got this interesting style um, mixed with this like really impressive realism. Um, interaction indicators uh, in this game have way too small of a radius to trigger them. So like if you if you're walking past a door and it's a door you can go into, a little triangle pops up, mm-hmm. but you have to be real fucking close to that door and there is no <laughs> there is no visual difference between doors you can use and doors you can't. And so I cannot tell you how often I walked away from the place I like thought I'd hit a dead end and turned around only to come back later and be like, there was a door here the whole fucking time. <laughs> That's infuriating. Um, that is the downside also. If you, if you un-video gamify your visuals so that right. shit doesn't, like, highlight, um, and then I can't fucking find anything. <laughs> Don't appreciate that. Thanks. Um... But I have, I put like a ton of hours into it. This game made me like Cloud Strife, which mm-hmm. I did not think was so, even something that could be done. What is it that is like driving you forward? If you don't like the combat, are you just enjoying the, the writing? I'm 
actually really interested in the writing. Um, okay. Because I, so I actually like, despite the fact that this is like a decade old game and it's extremely um, well known in fan culture, I actually have largely avoided most spoilers. There's a couple big things I know about, but like, yeah, I honestly don't know shit about Final Fantasy VII. <laughs> yeah, like the details. I I didn't know any of the details of the plot. Mm-hmm. And while there's certainly some dialogue that's just buck wild and feels like it's just like poor localization, mm-hmm. um, the like overarching plot is interesting and I okay. got invested and I got invested in the characters and I'm not happy about the fact that now if th- that this game is just ending in the middle of, you know, like this isn't yeah. where the game's designed to end. Um and I, again, very frustrated. Don't appreciate that precedent. Do not give me one third of a story. <laughs> just just want to um, remind everybody that you can buy the original Final Fantasy VII for $15. This is true. And probably what I will wind up doing. Because I don't want to just read what happens. And I also right. don't want to wait. So I guess I will just buy the original. Um, But... <sighs> I got really attached to the characters and I got really attached to Cloud in a way that I did not expect to. I always thought Cloud was a like one of those like irritatingly stoic types. Uh Um, And because most of my exposure to Cloud had been Kingdom Hearts where he's just a weird edgelord who fights (laughs) in the Coliseum all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, And talks about the darkness. The darkness. The darkness. (laughs) Um, <laughs> and then, like, that one Advent Children movie that I saw in, like, 2007. Oh, um, shit! <laughs> you That's remember? Right. They made a Final Fantasy VII movie! I remember uh, seeing that at GameStop all the time. Yep, unlocked some buried memories there. Wild. Um, but in this, he's very much, like, he's just sort of a, a shy weirdo who's not good at talking. And so... <laughs> And they've, like, really done a great job when in how they animate, like, his facial expressions and stuff, where you really do not get, like, cool, cold soldier. You really get, like, uh, 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 I don't know. I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> it's really, really good. Um, it's got, like, it does suffer from busy workitis, um, and uh-huh. that's a function of them being, like, we're going to take this... Gotta One stretch third of the original game and stretch it way the fuck out. Gotta pad it out. Yeah. So there were a couple times I stopped playing for a really long time because I just didn't want to do all the fucking side quests. Um, <laughs> because it's also not since it's not originally designed to to be this, you know, since uh-huh. the since the first game wasn't this, it's not like how you normally run across side quests in like a big AAA game where you're in this like kind of semi-open world and you can just sort of like do things as you come across them. Right. It's like you get to certain for for like huge portions of the game, it is this extremely linear single path experience where you are just going through a dungeon that only has one path to go through. I feel like and that then, was the original FF7 sort of. Right, definitely. But then they like t- get you to these like hub cities and they're like, "All right, now you're in the city and there's a bunch of people who have like shit you can do for them." Um, but if you progress the plot, 
you will leave the city and you will not be able to come back and do the rest of your plot, your subquests, your or your side quests. Okay. So like, so you have this designated. All right, now it's time to go do all the side quests. Time, time to grind. Right. And it's uh, and and like, if you want to come back and do this later, too fucking bad because we're gonna destroy this city when you leave it. Um. Jeez. <laughs> I'm not kidding. Oh my um, god. <laughs> Um, Final Fantasy, man. Oh, Final Fantasy. Um, and then the other really important thing I just need I just need out there on the record for everyone to know is that they're fucking cowards for not making Tifa buff, and that's a fact. <laughs> Tifa should have been just massive, just juiced, yoked. P- Tifa should have been able to pick Cloud up and just throw him over her shoulder. And it's a fucking criminal crime that she's she's not buff. Uh, noted. Let me check with the stenographer. Mm-hmm. Yep, yep. I want yep. that on the official on the record. record. On Thank the record. you. They're cowards. I was trying to explain this. You should probably cut this out of the podcast. But I was trying to explain how mad I was to uh, Jay, uh-huh. and I just. In in my frenzy, sent like a million different fan arts of Buff Tifa, and was like, "This is what she should look like." <laughs> I want fucking professional wrestling Tifa Lockhart. Thank you. <laughs> Ready to DDT from the top rope. Let's go. Wow. So that's Final Fantasy VII. I'm almost done with it. I'm in the final rush of it's a Final Fantasy game, which means you have to beat the final boss 16 times. Um, so I've beaten it like two or three times. <laughs> we'll see. Okay. Speaking of grind. Oh, yes. Uh, I've been playing Car Mechanic Simulator 2018. Oh, so... So when you say grind, you mean like an angle grinder tool. <laughs> uh, I mean both a tool and a game. Um, Car Mechanic Simulator was made by Red Dot Games, published by Playway uh, in 2017. Um, and I, I'm going to like kind of crap on Car Mechanic Simulator for a second because, well, you'll see. So Okay. Uh, at first glance, when you look at this game and screenshots of this game, it looks almost like uh, one of those like shovelware simulator games. Uh, I, I really like this YouTube channel called Let's Game It Out, and he plays a lot of um, simulator games where it's like, you run a business, and it was all slapped together with like public domain 3D assets and is weird, right? Then you have um, a shopping list. You You play the game by taking repair orders and figuring out what's wrong with the car and then taking off the parts that are broken and buying replacements and putting them on the car. That's the whole loop of the game. Mm-hmm. So in that process, you can have a shopping list where you can highlight a part and put it on your shopping list. But your only choices are to put that single part on your shopping list uh, in whatever order, like like it just starts from the top and goes down. Um, or you can just delete the shopping list entirely. Um, so it's kind of useless. If you want, if you need to buy two parts, you'll have to highlight it and put it on your list twice. Um, 
if the part is on one side of the car, not on the other, you're just going to have to fucking remember that. Oh, um, great. The controls are really unintuitive. Uh, they're almost all, they're all mouse-based except for the movement controls. Um, the, so you, like, end up only using the left and right mouse buttons, and you end up, like, zooming in and out wrong or clicking on the wrong thing. Um, the garage that you're in is way too big to move around in, uh, and then as you level up, it gets bigger. And speaking of leveling up, the grind in this game is absolutely endless. Um, I've played 20 hours or so. Uh, I think max level in the game is 25 or 30. I'm at level 6. <laughs> Whoops. Um, despite everything, I have played 20 hours of it, uh, and I work full-time. That is um, impressive. And that's because that loop I described, something about it makes everything else not matter. Uh, we talk a lot on this show about like good jank and playing games that are full of good jank, and this is an excellent example of that. Because while the way you interact with the game is not necessarily the best, um, and while the grind is kind of wild. It's not monotonous because the jobs that you take get more complex and um, they get more complex in various ways. First, they get more complex by just having more things to do. Then they get more complex by you not knowing what's broken and having to run a bunch of diagnostic tests um, and sometimes outright just tear parts of the car apart to figure out what is broken on it. Um, and then they add in a combination of those things where you'll have five or six different systems that are broken and you only have a parts list for two of them. Um, and so you, you get into this really excellent workflow where you're like, all right, put the car on the lift. Figure out what I know is broken. All right, uh, can't start the car because I, I know the starter's broken. So let me replace the starter. All right, now that I can start the car, let me take it to my test path and check the brakes and the suspension. Then let me take it to my test track and check the transmission and the engine power. Um, all right, there's still like 10 parts that are broken. Let me, uh, I know that the symptom being described of a lack of engine power probably means there's something wrong in the ignition system. So let me just start taking that apart. Um, and like, even though what you're doing is clicking apart and then holding down left mouse button and then um, some screws maybe get highlighted and you have to hold down left mouse button to unscrew those, the amount of love that has gone into, um, first off, like the sound design, it sounds like you're taking a car apart. There are the ratchet Ooh, sounds nice. and, and the, the screwing sounds are very like, it's the sound, I think, that really makes it feel... Um, like Spider-Man? <laughs> it really makes you feel like a car mechanic. Um, <laughs> no, it like really gives it like an emotional payoff because you can hear the you can hear the ratchet, you know, unscrewing the screw, and then you can hear the screw dropping into a bucket. And like you don't have any of these things. You're just moving a cursor over the screw. But the right. sound is so good that you're like, I, I did that, I unscrewed that. Um, and like so much love has gone into making these cars. Uh, all the cars are um a majority of them are, are fake. Um, but so much attention to detail has gone into making them different and also making them seem like real cars. They're, they make sense. Um, this is the part where I want to point out that, like, uh, they make sense to a layman. 
uh, if you are like an actual auto mechanic, you might play this game and be like, this is fucking dumb. None of this stuff <laughs> is anywhere it's supposed to be. Um, but for me, who like I have a passing fascination with cars. I'm really into Formula One. Uh, my dad was a mechanic, and so you know I, I spent time with him in, in his garage, like helping him put cars together. You know, which really just amounted to me like handing him a wrench and holding lights. Um, but like I have a, a passing fascination with cars and engines, and I think they're very cool. So for me, this really hits that sweet spot of like a lot of work has gone into making sure that like this is a V4 engine. So there are four pistons, there are four um, um, spark plugs. And even though a V4 engine always looks that way, you can still install a V4 engine in a lot of different ways. You can install it as an inline four. You can install it as a V4. You can put it on its side. And so there are various types of cars that all, they might have the same engine in them, but one might have a turbo and one might have it inline. And that's really neat. Um, and then added to that is the fact that the developers have worked really hard. So Car Mechanic Simulator 2018 is the one that like blew up uh, for them. They've, they've, made a couple of entries in this series uh, and 2018 is the one that blew up for them. So um, instead of making another couple of like yearly entries, what they did was really focused on DLC and to do that. What they've done is secured licenses to various real world cars. Um, oh, cool. So what that means is that love and attention to detail that has gone into making these fictional cars has gone into making an anatomically correct Porsche 992 GT3 car, um, which, like, I've watched those cars go 90 miles an hour through Monaco. Getting to take one apart and, and, like, rebuild it from the ground up basically is incredible. On top of that, there's an incredible mod community, so, like, I can also just take apart an F2 car. Um, they don't have an F2 license, but somebody modded it into the game. <laughs> but there she is. Um, so, I... I it's also a pretty cheap game. If you're not the sort of person who wants to, like, it's got a very jigsaw puzzle kind of, it's like playing a jigsaw puzzle. It's like playing with a jigsaw puzzle. Um, but, like, to figure out what piece goes where, you have to, like, run a diagnostic test on it for on it first. Um, so if you're not the sort of person who, like, enjoys lists and repetitive tasks in your games, like, this is very much... A, a, a way to like kind of just zone out this is one of those games that i'm like all right just gonna click on highlighted objects for a <laughs> while um yeah I, I i highly recommend this game i like it a lot i can totally see why someone would be like this game is stupid mm -hmm. um because like there's honestly not a lot of mechanical meat on the bones a lot of it is just like seeing these cars and taking them apart but something mm -hmm. about that is so much fun um I think the thing, though, that for me at least, if you are, if, if you somehow you're in the really specific situation of having a father who was a mechanic, um, which I mean, I'm sure that's somebody. Of course. No, of course. There's a real joy and nostalgia to playing this game for me. I can remember, so like, good. I can remember, like, my dad having to, like, get to a serpentine belt but to get to the serpentine belt he had to take off the alternator and the power steering pump and a timing cover all to get to one belt uh, which is a belt that probably a lot of people have to replace um and i can always remember him saying something like another bright idea from the ford factory uh, <laughs> 
and I was playing this game and had to do something similar where I had to take off a belt, but I had to take off like four things first. And I said that without actively thinking about what I was saying. Aww. Uh, and then I just had a really nice moment where I just thought about growing up with my dad and taking apart cars with him. Um, yeah, so like I, I'm probably playing this game through a bit of that nostalgia filter, which might be why I'm giving it a bit more than maybe it deserves, but I like this game. Like, I, I don't think this is a bad game. Uh-huh. Um, I think it is maybe made by a smaller company and so made maybe a bit more on a budget, and so it looks kind of janky. Um, but I think what it really is is just, like, a focus on what they cared about. And, uh, like, it's got rough edges, but it's such a pure focus on what they really wanted the game to be that it's okay that it has rough edges. That uh, good jank. It's also pretty cheap, goes on sale a lot, and the DLC is, like, between a dollar and four dollars, and there's a bunch of it. So, like, I like that. If you don't like having a lot of DLC in games, you might not like that, but I enjoy games that have a good DLC market. Um, uh, I, um, Stellaris is, like, the opposite, um, where... <laughs> Those DLCs tend to have features that seem like they should have been in the base game and cost, you know, twenty to thirty-five dollars. This is that. This is the other end of that spectrum. None of this stuff feels like it should have been in the game. It all feels like well thought out add-ons, and it's genuine, all genuine actual bonus content. Right, and even the stuff that's licensed, like stuff that's licensed from real cars, I think is a little more expensive. It might be like eight or ten bucks, but it's still really cheap. Um, yeah, Car Mechanic Simulator twenty eighteen. I like it. I recommend it. Um, yeah. Excellent. All right. So before we head out, uh, I wanted to mention that uh, itch.io uh, is doing another indie bundle, this time for Palestinian aid. Um, it's a $5 minimum pay what you will uh, that's going on through June 11th. And it's currently got more than a thousand games signed on to it. So five or more and you can get like four thousand dollars worth of games um i just bought it and have been digging through it and there's some really cool stuff in there it's um it's worth noting uh just to be like super clear it's probably not all games oh yeah uh, no sorry probably like not got some games. some game assets and soundtracks and stuff in there and it's also going to be uh, a tabletop chunk of tabletops um, but, but like it's for a good cause so who cares and it's, I mean, still well worth the the, right. <laughs> the value. Right. Have you seen anything in there that you've really enjoyed? Um. Well, so I or just that bought has it. looked really interesting to you, right? Right. I was going to say, I just bought it earlier today, <laughs> so I haven't played anything in it yet. Um, but I've added, hang on, I've added a handful of things to my, my to-play folder. Um, I found a, a, I was actually just posting about this in the group chat, but I, I found a tabletop that looked really interesting that was like a a game about um oh i saw growing that about up like and growing up and growing apart and stuff yeah it's a game with no gm about it says coming of age and changing friendships mm-hmm. um and that looked really cool and then i'm trying to get to my trying to get to my page to see what else i've added in but uh itchio is not loading um but yeah, there there look like there's some really interesting interesting things in there. There's a handful of ones that you can play like in a browser, like you don't even have to mm-hmm. download them. Um, 
And that's kind of, I think, going to be one of the first things I go through is just, like, stuff I can, I don't even have to do anything. I can just load I'm sure up. we've mentioned itch.io before, but uh, just to say it again, great place to buy games if you don't great really want to buy games. Steam or the Epic Store. Um, obviously, you probably won't find any, like, you know, incredible AAA titles there, but, oh, man, so much indie stuff. Very cool indie stuff. Um, I think I got itch, I think I made an itch account specifically so I could play that bug dating game. <laughs> I think that's like specifically why I made it. Uh, it was a cute little game. I uh, I wanted to mention uh, I we I think I mentioned it last episode, but I just want to mention it again. We have a friend of the show, uh, Lino. He streams at Twitch.tv/slash Lino Howdy. Um, his laptop got stolen last week, so he probably won't be streaming. Oh no, he streams from console a lot, so never mind. He's definitely still streaming. I was going to um, say, I thought... I thought yeah, he streams from console, never mind. So yeah, twitch.tv slash Lino Howdy. He uh, is a friend of the podcast. He uh, tends to play games that we talk about uh, if he thinks they're interesting. I should be clear, he doesn't play every game we talk about, but he does tend There's to play games o- that we talk about. There is some overlap. <laughs> um, this is our friend who likes similar games. Right. <laughs> you, um, sh- you will, And who is funny and has a good stream that you should watch. So yeah, check that out, twitch.tv slash Lino Howdy. The last thing I wanted to mention is I found this new um, storefront on the internet that I'm not quite sure how it works, and I'm vaguely concerned it's illegal. Okay. Great. I'm pr- off to a great start. I want to be clear. I'm like 99% sure it's not and that it's just my anxiety at finding this like incredible treasure trove. Um, but what it is is it's called Eneba, E-N-E-B-A. Um, and they sell all kinds of games and game-related stuff at, like, 5 to 10 bucks cheaper than market price. So you can buy, like, a 12-month uh, PS Plus subscription for, like, 5 or 10 bucks cheaper than you would have to buy it from the PlayStation Store. Um, and they have a huge selection. Um, I... Check it out. It seemed like a good deal. I haven't bought any new games in a bit, so I haven't actually used them yet. But um, next time I do, I probably will because it seemed like everything was five to ten bucks cheaper. I think the the way they're really turning a profit is by volume and by it not actually having sales. I think they just uh-huh. sell everything a little cheaper and go go for it. Um, have you have you researched this? At yeah, all? yeah. There's like it's like a legit company. It's not like a okay. shady website. It's like Enneba.com or Enneba.co.uk or something. Uh the the reason I was like mostly kind of worried is because it's definitely like a, a foreign website. It's definitely it's one of them foreign websites. Uh it like uh they're they're like based in in the EU somewhere. So I was just like but like I didn't have to use a Tor browser or anything to access this website. I I'm sorry. I should be really clear. Certain it is anxiety at finding such good deals and not quite knowing where they come from. <laughs> it doesn't look illegal in any way. It looks like a complete... I don't want to get sued by Inaba. I, I, this is just me talking. There's no... If you Google them, you don't find any weird, like, fucking, you know, Fox News articles about... Uh, Scams. Yeah. I, I, it doesn't... Nothing about the thing actually gives me any bad vibes. Other than the fact that I was like, how the fuck do they have all this stuff for sale? Right. Um, that's it for end of the show notes. Next episode is going to be the end of our super giant extravaganza. The, the, the true start of the dodge button uh, um, 
brand. Oove. Oove. We are going to be playing. We are going to be playing Hades. Yeah. Um, Very excited for that. Uh, Just want to say sorry that this episode is a little late. We had some technical and personal difficulties so it really just was a humdinger of a week just a humdinger of a week um but that's it for today's episode of the dodge button podcast our theme song is BitQuest by kevin mcleod you can email us at dodgebuttonpod at gmail.com or dm us on twitter at dodge button um you can find us on your favorite podcatcher we just got added to a couple of more uh so just search dodge button podcast and if you can please make sure that you rate and review and don't forget to subscribe i've been ash vernon and i've been jordan hamilton thank you for listening okay ash bye i love you goodbye i love you